0: Wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and before we conclude our episode on Magic the Gathering today, we have a couple things we want to talk about. First, this Friday marks the 6 month anniversary of the launch of Fifth Draw Wild. We'll hold off doing anything big until the one-year mark, but I do want to thank you for listening. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. Second, to help push us to that one-year mark, we want to ask our listeners to help us out. All you need to do is give us a rating or review on whatever you're listening to us on right now. It'll take you just a minute or two, and it'll help us out immensely. Third, International Tabletop Day happened this past Saturday, and given the topic of our episode this week and last week... This felt like a good time to encourage our listeners to uh, maybe check out their friendly local game stores. There, you'll usually find a pretty good community of Magic players, as well as Pokemon card games, uh, the new Final Fantasy card game, Dungeons & Dragons. Any sort of game you can imagine is probably going to have a community of some sort at your local game store. So we want to encourage our listeners to uh, maybe step in. If you've enjoyed what we've presented here... And especially this week, hop into your shop, see what they've got on offer, maybe sit down and play a test game or two and see if magic's something that can sink its teeth into you. Yes, I know it can be a pretty scary hole to fall down, but it's a lot of fun, and you'll meet some fun people along the way. Now, enjoy the episode.
1: Previously on Fifth Draw Wild. Magic, 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 magic. Magic, 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 magic,
0: magic, magic. So who are some of the other the other villains because there are a couple of big non planeswalker villains we need to talk about
1: when we talk about villains that are planeswalkers Nicol Bolas is king like he is he is the lex Luthor or dr doom of the i mean he's
0: currently the god pharaoh of an entire plane
1: right the next world we're visiting is amon and he just decided to bend the entire realm to his will and everyone's like oh that guy he's our god he's our pharaoh we we bow to him well, it's one thing to rule. The next two villains, uh, specifically, we're going to go into the Eldrazi. They don't want to yes. rule. They don't want to. They don't want to rule at all. These Eldrazi are precursor villains. These are the guys.
0: They're the elder gods from, from uh,
1: Lovecraft. They very much are the Cthulhu mythos, the the H.P. Lovecraftian horrors in Magic: The Gathering. They existed at a time before magic uh, in lore had a color pie. They don't sit in the color pie. They sit outside the color. They don't care if you're casting mana based on your emotions or your intellect. I'd call them a force of nature if they weren't so unnatural.
0: Yeah, they're they're a force of the nature... They're the force of nature of whatever nature came before this one.
1: Right. And three elder planeswalkers, old planeswalkers, even older than Nicol Bolas, maybe? <laughs> they fought to a standstill against three of the Eldrazi, and these are the ones that earned the title the Eldrazi Titans. They fought to a standstill and decided they had to sacrifice the future of one plane, otherwise these Eldrazi were going to literally eat away at the multiverse. So they sealed them inside the plane of Zendikar, and for millennia, that plane was ripping itself apart because it was housing the seed of the most unnatural evil the multiverse had ever spawned.
0: Yeah, it's it's some bad, bad times.
1: There were three uh, named titans, and just to say how bad times these were, uh, we've got Ulamog, whose definition is the perversion of space and physics, and that really kicks in as he's an indestructible threat. If you try to destroy him, the laws of physics break and he survives. Like, wrap your head around that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's uh, it's there. He's a monster.
1: The uh, next guy up is Kozalik. He's a perversion of time and reality, and it's really hard to describe because he's untouchable in a way of if you were to cast a spell at him or swing a sword at him. And when I say swing a sword at him, I should really clarify: these titans are the size of mountains. You're gonna need a big sword. Yeah, but if you were to like attack him the reality in time would warp to the point where your attack would just pass through him or it wouldn't exist or it would be countered by the fact that it doesn't exist anymore like he's untouchable in this really wicked way and these two first two titans they met their end to the gatewatch when the gatewatch finally made their oath they said this is it. If these Eldrazi who broke loose and ravished Zendikar, if they get anywhere else, the multiverse is done. They had to uh, break the bounds of their... Uh, the, the Gatewatch had to break beyond their own constraints and create a mortality spell. Made them mortal just to kill them. They only got two. The yeah. last one, Emrakul, got away. No one had seen Emrakul after their first resurrection. And so the Gatewatch were like, we gotta go find Emrakul. Imrakul is the perversion of mind and sanity, and is termed unknowable. Well, Liliana kind of found a home. She found this place filled with traditional monsters, werewolves, zombies, vampires, uh, ghosts.
0: The traditionally gothic plane,
1: The gothic plain of Innistrad. She found this place, and she finally settled down and said, you know what, I've been running myself rampant trying to get my power back, trying to kill these demons that I made deals with. I'm happy here. Imrakul showed up and just turned gothic horror into Cthulhu mythos horror. And that's one of the reasons this villainous character, villainess, kind of became a hero. Was because the Gatewatch showed up on her home and said, we can't beat him. So the bad girl becomes the good savior of Innistrad. And it's this tongue-in-cheek joke that the baddest girl on the team is the only one that can save us.
0: Yeah. He's, Emrakul had literally taken over a moon.
1: He was, ref- uh, she actually, Emrakul, uh, I think got the feminine title. It's hard to uh, tie a gender to Cthulian horror, but yeah. Emrakul was reflecting the sanity off the moon, which always makes me laugh. Cause I always like to say that lunacy comes from the term Luna. It doesn't just, you know, don't quote me. It does not. But I always like that uh, little joke. Immercool is reflecting insanity off of the moon and a, well, there's there's a people called Moonfolk. They're not native to Innistrad, but one of their planeswalkers, one of the planeswalkers of that race, came to Innistrad to study the moon, to find out that the moon was made purely out of silver, which, shoot a werewolf with a silver bullet, okay, it makes sense for Innistrad to have this silver moon. Yeah. Another planeswalker knows how to craft base minerals as a ward, well, the Gatewatch got her somehow to help out and make this ward inside the moon. And so when Immercool finally rose up, the planeswalkers worked together and sealed Immercool inside the moon. So the realm of Innistrad is forever looked over by a Cthulian god of madness.
0: Which I think we all assume is going to be cracked open eventually.
1: Oh, cracking open ancient evils is a common theme for the, uh, for the Magic the Gathering storylines.
0: I mean, the only thing that could be worse than just cracking open the silver moon uh, would be if our last villain somehow got some of its oil up in there.
1: Oh, well, you know, oil sounds bad. You can't get that stuff off your fingers. Well, the bad news is these are the Phyrexians. These are the big – these are the first big bad of Magic the Gathering. Uh, You can't talk about the old planeswalkers without talking about Phyrexia. You can't talk about the new Planeswalkers without talking about Phyrexia. So, this is actually going to tie in. If I'm going to talk about the Phyrexians, let me go ahead and tie in with the first story arc, because you can kind of tell the story side by side. Yeah. There is a human character by the name of Yogmoth, Ancient, ancient precursor civilization called the Thran. They were building these artifact utopia civilizations. They were powering everything, and Yoggmoth was this really not nice guy. At first it was just, he's just bad news, don't deal with him. But he started doing some really sick and twisted stuff. He started poisoning entire populations just so he could study how the disease was killing them. And the Thran were using these power stones to to power their machine uh, laborers. These power stones were giving everybody science fantasy tuberculosis. As you do, yeah. As, as, as you do. You know, you, you power something with enough radiation, it's going to give you something bad. Yeah, that's just, that's
0: just how the world works.
1: So Yogmoth, having this knowledge of diseases and bad stuff, gets called in by one empire saying, hey, can you cure our king or head artificer? Or And moth does. He does it in a way that will eventually be called completion. Uh, it's actually got a misspelling in it. And when he, compl- when he completes you... You become some kind of bi-organic machine zombie.
0: Kind of kind of fantasy Borg.
1: The Borg are admittedly, by Wizards of the Coast, admitted to be the biggest inspiration for the Phyrexians.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: They just take it up a couple of notches. So Yogmoth started doing this completion Phyrexianization to everyone he could get his hands on and Too many people were giving him the benefit of the doubt of, oh, he's just doing it to cure bad diseases. No! He was causing these bad diseases. So eventually this guy became the stuff of nightmares. He became like a Grand Vizier that was just ruining the world beneath him. And finally enough people got together and said, get out! We're done with you. They evicted him from the Plane of Dominaria and locked him out. That was the only way they could deal with him at the time. So... Where he landed when he got locked out, he took over, bound his soul to the center of that plane, and named it Phyrexia, and he became Yogmoth, the father of the machines. He became a bad dude. Uh, they can't jump planes the way planeswalkers can, but they started building machines that would let them do that, and they became a scourge. They became a Borg horde that just started destroying the, plane, uh, the, the multiverse. Uh, ravishing it for its resources. Well, here's the thing about that. When they locked out er- uh, Yagmoth, they locked him out on a uh, soul level, so anything that was even tied to him couldn't really get back in. Which is all the Phyrexians. Yeah, all the Phyrexians are tied to this Yagmoth, father of the machines. And so no one could really get back into Dominaria, and that made him furiously angry. Like, so insanely stuff of nightmares angry that, well, his whole goal in his infinite unlife is, well, destroy Dominaria.
0: Well, it's good to have goals, really. I mean, that's important.
1: It is great to have goals. And I'm going to put uh, Yawgmoth on the back burner because he's spending nine millennia, not quite 10,000 years, spends about nine millennia trying to get back in. In the meantime, we have the brothers Urza and Mishra. Old school magic guys should know those two names.
0: They're, uh... Kind of the focus of the first several, of some of the core, like, original sets.
1: Yeah, they were the first real story that Magic the Gathering tried to tell. And their story is called The Brothers' War. Well, if they're brothers and they had a war, it's going to be a big story, especially when they're both artificers. You might notice a theme. A lot of bad stuff that happens in Magic is because someone tries to take this artificial concept and just let it do their work for them. No one likes to get their hands dirty anymore. So these brothers compete against each other, trying to just be a better artificer. At first, it starts out as, well, sibling rivalry. I can build a better flying machine than you. I can build a better walking machine than you. And they're working underneath a master artificer named Tokasa. Well, to build these machines, they have to pull up these power stones that they're digging up out of the ruins of the old Thran Empire. And they are fantasy battery stones. You can't power an artifact without one. Urza and Mishra both find this big, skull-sized, fist-sized stone in a still-functioning machine from the Thrain Empire, and they both want it. They both grab it, they both rip it out of the machine, and it kind of explodes a bit, breaks in two, and they both have one half of this whole power stone. They end up naming them the Weak Stone and the Might Stone. And they use them, and they actually have more power than just batteries. They have this kind of control over machines. Uh Mishra's weak stone can kind of drain power from them. Urza's might stone can bolster power to them. So they kind of have this battle against each other. But it's again still kind of a sibling rivalry. Until Urza gets drunk. Always, always a bad sign right there. Gets drunk, they're not seeing eye to eye, they step outside, they have a bit of a bar fight, but it's a bar fight with mages. What good could come of this?
0: I'm going to guess probably a continent vanishes.
1: Not quite yet. (laughs) That's going to happen a lot. But it starts out with Tokasa, the artificer master, coming down and saying, Boys, stop it. Your brothers don't be this way. Well, they be that way. They use their stones, blast at each other, and they kill their master artificer, Tokasa, She dies in Urza's hand, and they blame each other. Like you do when you kill your master because you're drunkenly jealous of each other. Uh, Nothing good, again, I repeat. Yeah, a bunch of jerks. Right, and well, while they're both jerks, Urza kind of gets the nominal hero title. He's the character we most follow, and he seems like he's doing the most heroic deeds, but Urza is the dirt-worst kind of hero you can imagine. He is manipulative, he uses people for anything, and he kind of does it claiming he's doing it for the right reason.
0: For the greater good,
1: always. For the greater good. I don't even think Urza knows what the greater good is anymore. One of my favorite stories about Urza is he goes to this kingdom, there's a giant boulder in the middle of a courtyard, and the king is proclaiming, anyone who can move this boulder from the courtyard to the front of my castle, they can have my daughter's hand in marriage. All these strong guys try. No, they can't move a boulder. Urza thinks, builds a machine. The machine man picks up the boulder, carries it off. And the king's like, I was going for brute force, but your cleverness intrigues me. Yes, you can marry my daughter. And Urza's like, great. Where's your dowry? And where's your library? Yeah.
0: He's a a real keeper, that guy.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Mishra ain't much better, considering he falls in with this nomadic warband after they separate. He falls in with this nomadic warband and kind of weasels his way into position of power. He was a little bit power behind the throne for a minute. Then eventually he takes over, and he builds this horde of kingdom stompers. And they just start raiding small towns, small villages, small kingdoms, so that Mishra can get materials to build his artifacts.
0: It's important to have hobbies.
1: Well, yeah. And Mishra decides, you know, I'm not finding anything better than when I found that stone in that blasted cave of Koelos where me and Urza found that might stone and meek stone. I'm going to go back there and I'm going to get myself some really good old tech and build new machines from them.
0: Nothing on Earth is going to go wrong with this.
1: Not too far off when the fact is the machine that Urza and Mishra had pulled the power stone from was a gate, a planar gate, and it was, in fact, the planar gate that the old Thran Empire had evicted Yawgmoth through. The Power Stone wasn't powering it to keep it on. The Power Stone was powering it to keep it locked. <laughs> oh, morons. So one of Yagmoth's chief minions, Gix, this demon machine man, comes out when urza returns and tries to cut deals with mishra but mishra's not wasn't born yesterday you just came out of a hell vent hole and tried to sell me on power i don't trust you but mishra did manage to steal some of these phyrexian war machines when he spoke with gix and he escaped and brought these war machines in his battle with urza and Urza really was the better artificer, so Urza always had the better toys. So Mishra was hurting to get some heavy firepower on his side. Gix sees this and realizes, I'm not going to tempt one or the other. I've got to manipulate him from the, from the backside. So Gix helps push these two brothers into ever-growing conflicts. Each battle these two brothers fight with their armies and machines destroys the land. They have to go to a new place, steal more resources from the... The native inhabitants, they eventually find this pristine island filled with peace-loving elves and sylvan ents and tree folk and everything that could be like a paradise on Earth. Urza and Mishra find it and in no time turn it into a wasteland.
0: Yeah, that seems about right for these two.
1: Everything they touch turns to suck, is a a way to say it. (laughs) So as they're stripping the land of resources, Urza is given... An item called the Golgothan Silex. It's not well described in the beginning. It's kind of this mysterious who knows what it could be. But when Urza kind of studies it, he realizes, no, no, I'm not going to use this to win this war. I'm not going to use this to win my battle with my brother. This is too much. So he continues the war as it's been going, because it's been going so well so far. And in their final confrontation, Urza... And Mishra, they come to physical blows. You know, they're worn out, they're tired, and Mishra gets cut pretty badly. And Urza stops. He realizes Mishra got cut, but it's not blood running down his arm. It's not blood inside of Mishra. It's oil. Sometime before they they met on their final battlefield, Mishra had been replaced from the inside. Had been converted into one of these Phyrexian minions. And it just breaks Urza's heart. Brother or not, they've got to be together. They've got to do this together. Urza didn't want to fight some puppeted minion. He wanted his brother. So take that what you will. That set off Urza onto a really bad, really bad way.
0: And that's also kind of when the Phyrexian started to really stir again.
1: Yeah. Every every sleeper agent Phyrexian, because that's really the thing, is they can kind of hide inside of a person. They can kind of turn them into a Phyrexian without the person realizing it. And that's what happened to Mishra. Even the readers, even the, the, the people reading the story didn't know Mishra had become a Phyrexian. Gix had been manipulating the system from the outside, but he'd also gotten some sleeper agents inside Mishra's army and had started completing him, turning him into a machine. Urza realizes... This isn't just between me and my brother anymore. I want to go after the people that did this to him. Because, you know, me beating him up in a game of kingdom warfare isn't good enough.
0: And now he has to avenge him.
1: He has to avenge his brother. And in his grief at the death of his brother, or the unlife, if you consider Phyrexian zombies, he takes the Golgothian Silex and activates it. Okay, the Golgothian Silex is the fantasy mana equivalent of a nuke and not just any nuke the big czar bomb the biggest thing you can find urza activates it at ground zero urza didn't even want to survive he saw all these phyrexians around him all the armies were being converted in front of him you know surprise the phyrexians are here it's his last call he hits that button and boom wipes out an entire continent effectively the entire plane of dominaria shakes the mana that is in the land itself is disrupted and sends the entire world towards this Ice Age. Now, you might think that might be the end of Urza, you know, being ground zero with a nuke.
0: Nope. That just activated his spark, right?
1: Right. This entire time, he'd been a normal mortal mage. And by detonating the Silex in that state of grief and rage, he triggered his spark to ignite and become this planeswalker. Uh, The Meek Stone and Might Stone also, you know, come under his control, but they also ram into his eyes. His eyes become these sources of power. Had to hurt.
0: Yeah, and he, he continues as a pretty massive presence in magic from there on.
1: From there on, he's some combination of the big good and the big manipulator, the man behind the curtain. Yeah, the chess master. He's very much the chess master. And if we had weeks to spend talking about it, I could tell you how he manipulates the... Uh, he, he creates a eugenics program. He creates this science study. He studies time travel. We haven't even touched time travel yet, and it becomes a huge part of the magic storyline later. Urza focuses himself on revenge against Phyrexia and their leader, the father of the machines, Yogmoth. And for the next eight years... The entire story of Magic the Gathering is this epic with Urza and Yawgmoth dueling in the background by manipulating events to create this final confrontation.
0: And what was that last confrontation?
1: Well, we've got the invasion. We've got the end of the Weatherlight Saga. There's this ship that Urza created. He sent all these people on this quest to collect relics and artifacts to create something called the Legacy Weapon. This legacy weapon was going to be what killed Yawgmoth once and for all. It's kind of like a, again with the Borg analogy, the Weatherlight is kind of the Enterprise with Captain Picard and a wharf and a Data. All these caricatures and fantasy crewed up on this ship. That can jump planes, and they went about collecting items to build this weapon to kill Yawgmoth. Only for Yogmoth to beat them to the punch and finally invade. On Dominaria. Um, Urza gets all these planeswalkers together. He gets the Nine Titans, all these good and evil planeswalkers who just know they've got to kill the Phyrexians, otherwise everything's going to get wiped out. He gets the people of Dominaria to band together and build these armies to fight against the Phyrexians. He does everything he can, manipulates anyone he can do, just to get one more shot at killing Yawgmoth. Now, undead evil... Soul of a plane versus planeswalker. Even after building planeswalkers up to be these reality warping superpowers that they are in the early world of magic, Yogmoth is beyond them. When he finally comes down onto Dominaria and his peak of revenge, he says, No, don't even try to kill me. I'm gonna become death itself. And he dissipates himself across an entire continent as a cloud of death. You breathe it in, you die. You touch it, you die, and it's just ever expanding. Yogmoth literally became death, destroyer of worlds. That is a creepy dude. Very creepy, and Yogmoth is very efficient. That's the whole thing about the Phyrexians is they're hyper efficient. They're creepy because they don't care; they just do. And Urza has spent these five thousand years, four thousand years, trying to manipulate people into doing what he wanted them to do, so they could beat Yogmoth. And at the very last moment, Urza has this glimmer of doubt. He realizes, Yoggmoth and the Phyrexians, they are the perfect machine that I've been trying to recreate just so I can defeat them. He has this moment of, oh my god, I should be working with them, not against them. Yoggmoth invades his mind and just tweaks just the right things when Urza attacked uh, Phyrexia. Yogmoth just hinted that they're the same kind of person, and Urza goes bad. For like one second, but he goes bad. And it takes the entire crew of the Weatherlight to kind of undo what Urza's about to do. The The hero, the, the mortal hero of the Weatherlight Saga, Gerard Capshen, has to go and duel Urza. A mortal has to duel this reality-warping mage. It's a good thing Urza kind of went crazy, otherwise he would have just snuffed him out of existence. Yeah. So, Gerard decapitates Urza at the end of this long struggle, picks up Urza's head, and Urza says, like, oh, good. My body must have been confusing me. Thanks for knocking me back into my senses. <laughs> and Urza's eyes, the Meekstone and Might Stone, were the last two keys to the legacy weapon. They go fly up to a moon that's been charging on white mana energy for 10,000 years, and they fire it down on Yogmoth's Deathcloud, and just disintegrate him. Like, matter, antimatter, he's gone. And the machine, Empire of Phyrexia, just breaks. Because their linchpin is dead.
0: Oh, they break for a little bit. But this is definitely not the last time we've heard we hear from the Phyrexians.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, why throw away a perfectly good villain?
0: So, uh, when, when do they next
1: surface? So, after the mending, a planeswalker comes to discover that his home plane of Mirrodin isn't quite right. Something has gone wrong. There's these sneaking, bug-insect-like, oil-dripping monstrosities. They're starting to kind of crawl out from from the underworkings of this artificial plane. And the creator of the plane, if you'll remember, is Karn the Silver Golem. He was the legacy weapon. He gained Urza's spark. Creating the legacy weapon killed Urza. But it put that spark from Urza into a machine, an artificial creature, this golem. And this golem gained that sentience, that spark, and said, well, I'll make everything better. He stepped in a drop of oil from one of the machines, and that oil corrupted him over a period of decades, hundreds of years, I don't know. Time is a little hard to scale in Magic the Gathering, but Karn stepped in it on one world, and he started planeswalking. And every place he stepped he left a dot of that oil. And that oil is the DNA of Phyrexia. And it will rewrite anything it touches to be a Phyrexian.
0: Yeah, so there's no telling how far
1: it spread. Absolutely. So we'll end the Phyrexians with the with the warning that Merridon, this land of metal people, fought against an empire of machine, soulless monsters, soulless zombies. And the planeswalker hero from Mirrodin, Koth, he can't stand it. He's doing everything he can to stop this battle, and they lose. Hard. Planeswalkers give up their lives to free Karn from the clutches of the Phyrexians, but they can't do anything to save Mirrodin from the claws of the new Phyrexian Praetors. So we've got this seed of new Phyrexia. These guys are going to break out any moment, and I can't wait to see what they do.
0: Yeah, that should be really good. Um, So real quick, we're going to hit our last our last spot, and just we've talked about some storylines already. Um, just real quick for our last segment here, uh, what are some other notable storylines that you want to talk about?
1: Okay, we have our... Planes that represent certain concepts. There was a plane called Kamigawa that was created, Wizards of the Coast created it to be a Japanese traditional feeling world where there was a war between the people and the spirits. If you're into Shinto religion, if you understand that concept, this is this war between the material and the immaterial. And you find out this backstory of this world and you also find out that the hero from this world ends up being one of the big heroes that stands against Nicol Bolas. It's all these webs of stories where a character is a hero in one story and a villain in the next. Well, Umezawa is the ancestor to another Umezawa. I couldn't even guess their first name right now. And this is the one guy, one mortal, who was able to defeat Nicol Bolas in any kind of duel. Now, he didn't kill him, obviously, but he was able to injure Nicol Bolas' pride, being bested by a mere mortal. So Nicol Bolas tries to rewrite history and kill off the Umazawa's family line in the story of Kamigawa. We also have one of the more recent sets, Kaladesh, which was mechanically a Indian supercontinent-themed world.
0: It was uh, It was all based on, on India and a lot of the Indian traditions.
1: And it was also this idea of creation and industry and creativity. Everyone on that plane wants to make these very beautiful, intricate, delicate machines. And so they host this fair, this inventor's fair, where people are creating things. And they're showing them off and trying to earn a prize, saying, I'm the best inventor there has ever been. We find out that this is Chandra's home. Chandra of the Gatewatch, this loose glass cannon that if she feels bad for a moment she might burn a place down and just cry more. We find out she came from Kaladesh and she left because the rulers of Kaladesh were trying to imprison her because fire mages, pyromancers, are banned on Kaladesh. And when they tried to execute her, her planeswalker spark ignited and she left the plane. She she escaped. But she only escaped and left Kaladesh because she thought this government had executed her family. So when she finds out that there's bad stuff happening on Kaladesh, she heads home. And since it's such a new recent story, I kind of don't want to spoil too much, but she heads home, and she finds out that her mother is alive. And the rest of the Gatewatch come down and say, hey, come on, we can't bust up a government just because they tried killing your family. I mean, yes, we, we want to, but we have to be above that. And the rest of the Gatewatch realize that Big Bad Dragon... Tezzeret is currently ruling over the inventor's fair where all these new machines are being made, and they realize this isn't just family problem anymore. Tezzeret, and most likely Nickelbulls has their claws in what's going on in Kaladesh. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a good little lead-in, because it also ties directly into uh, the set that's about to come out here in, uh, let's see, by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be the next weekend is when, when that should be releasing.
1: Right. I think there was just a pre pre pre-release. Um, and next week will probably be the pre-release. So yeah, if you're hearing this, you could probably go out and grab packs of Kaladesh, not Kaladesh, almond cat, almond cat, almond cat. Oh, fans love making wicked names.
0: Um, so those are, those are some magic is full of timelines like that. Um, but we are going to, we are going to have to wrap this up. Um, Again, magic is one of those topics that you could go on for years talking about. Um, and Lewis, I know you had a couple places that you've gone to for information. Um, so where are those? Like what are some good references if people want to dig into this more?
1: Well, if you're already into Magic the Gathering and you kind of want to learn more about the background uh, of the game itself and the, the company that makes it, I go straight to the uh, straight to the man. Mark Rosewater is the current head designer, and he runs a podcast Drive to Work, and it's the biggest podcast from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, there's also some big names, like the professor at uh, Tolarian Community College, he puts up videos where he talks about the game, and a quality of life, He he reviews it as if he was a community college professor, <laughs> which I kind of feel like we all are at some level having to deal with this weird world where the game we want to play isn't what we're going to get
0: uh and i'd also recommend uh tap tap concede is another good uh podcast about magic it uh it's done by the loading ready run guys Mm -hmm. Um, and it's their entire tagline is casual discussions of casual magic so you're not going to get like heavy competitive stuff and you also get to hear them talk about a bunch of different formats um real good stuff so if this interests you at all check these places out really good really good stuff out there
1: if you want to actually just read the story of magic if you just enjoyed that less than the gameplay wizards of the coast actually post their stories on their website in these short story segments you used to have to buy a book but now you can just read what's going on with the gate watch right now
0: yeah it's it's a little hard to find but it is buried deep in there you can you can pull up all those all those short stories and follow their kind of the whole history of the planeswalkers Uh, which also gives you the histories of the planes they're on, which is really cool. So that's going to wrap this one up. Uh, Lewis, where can people find you online?
1: Well, I'm pretty much on Twitter, at BossLCA, and you can catch me anytime there. But Mondays, I try to put up a stream where I'm playing Overwatch, and I'll be streaming Overwatch on my Twitch account, and that is also BossLCA on twitch.tv.
0: Awesome. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for coming on.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you, Matt.
0: You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com, follow us on Twitter at fifthdraw, or email us at social at fifthdraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Roosevelt and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening.